0: or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting
1: Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time restricted eating, lower carb diets, or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the Tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the Tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive the test strips are extremely expensive they are wasteful you no longer have to buy test strips anymore you can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback it's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times i always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day. And you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher. And it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device, and I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the Tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the Tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address, and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt-in, and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation Tone device is available to to order. And you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it. So be sure to go and sign up at ToneDevice.com. All right, now back to our show. New customers can use the code cleanforall for all 20 for 20% off their first order. BeautyCounter.com/slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi,
0: everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 163 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen?
2: I am fabulous. You know, it's getting real. We are, by the time this podcast comes out, less than a month away from the release of Fast
0: Feast Repeat, and I'm getting excited. It's very exciting. It really is. Pre-ordered it yesterday. I realized I hadn't yet, which was, I was like, oh, that's a problem.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) So I'm excited. So for pre-orders, will we get it like?
2: On that day, you would think?
0: Remember when Harry Potter would come out and it was like the whole thing about when you would get it? No, because I was a grown-up and
2: (laughs) – no, no, I don't remember that.
0: It was like during the time of when online shipping was sort of starting to become more of a thing. So it was like a thing.
2: Well, I think of it like in the, you know, like the iPhone launches, for example. You know, if you pre-ordered it, you might get it on the launch day. I think I actually got one iPhone early on the day before the launch day. I mean, anyway. So, yeah, I don't really know. There's also a lot of uncertainty around Amazon shipping in general. Usually they have like an estimated delivery date, but they're still showing is not. Even though the official release date is June 16th, they're still not showing it. I don't really know,
0: I guess. Time will tell.
2: Yeah, but I would encourage everyone to order from wherever you'd like to order books. It doesn't have to be Amazon. And I actually heard from my publisher that they actually love for you to order from other places too. You know, Barnes and Noble or just any online bookstore. Or there's even I have a link on JenStevens.com that has all these different places you can you can pre-order from there. But If you order from an independent, there's like an indie kind of a link. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's one of the, it's it's pretty obviously it's that one. If you click on it, it allows you to order it, but it supports one of your local bookstores. Like you order it through this link, but you pick it up from a local bookstore. Just a way to support a local business, which I think is always a good thing. That's awesome. Yeah, because I really like the idea of still having local bookstores. You know, I hate the idea that we can only ever order a book that you cannot hold it in your hand beforehand. Yeah, I like to flip through them and touch them and, you know, support those local booksellers. I know it's not
0: local, but I still love going to like Barnes and & Noble and like looking through all, all the books physically.
2: Me too. And, you know, I, I think of it, even though it's a chain, you know, we can't count on the fact that we'll always even have a Barnes & Noble if we don't support them. So, you know, let's, let's expand our, our book buying practices. It's awfully easy to click Add to Cart on Amazon. I get it.
0: <laughs> One of the things I love having the other podcast now is interviewing lots of people with books. Now they all send me their books. So it's really helping me grow the actual physical book collection because I kind of have been transitioning to audiobooks mostly. There's just something about a physical book and especially ones with like that are done really well. It's just something to it. Yeah.
2: I can't wait to hold the real one in my hand. You know, I've got the advanced reader copy, but it looks like someone took a Word document and bound it in a, because that's literally what they did. (laughs) They took the Word document that we were working from, from our edits, and they, you know, shrunk it down and bound it into the book, book format. I've seen a PDF of the designed version, and I can't wait to actually hold it in my hands. It's just, there's just something about that just, you know, very special. But if I'm reading something for content, if it's something that I really want to learn and go back to, I need a paper copy. So like what I'll do is if I'm not sure about a book, I'll buy it first on Kindle and see what I think. Like that's what I did with the obesity code. I first read it on Kindle and then I'm like, I got to have a paperback. So I bought the paperback too. So I can, you know, refer to it very easily and flip back and forth. There's just something about that kinesthetic holding the book in your hand. And, you know, there's some research, here I am, elementary teacher, there's some research that indicates that we interact differently with a printed book, like we retain it differently. So always keep buying our kids, you know, the the books they can hold in their hands. There's science for that. I hope that doesn't disappear.
0: Well, actually, similarly to that point, I was listening to something yesterday about goal setting and it said when you write down your goals i don't know the percent of you more likely to do it is substantially more and it had something to do with how your brain is i don't know interpreting it when you're writing it
2: actually writing it with your hand versus typing it into something that whole kinesthetic
0: yep so i have something to tell you
2: oh i can't wait to hear
0: oh my goodness are you ready i am ready guess what i tried okay well i don't know (laughs) What did you try? Should we play the guessing game?
2: I can't play the guessing game. I got no guesses.
0: (laughs) Gluten-free funfetti. Oh, my God. That is hilarious.
2: And I'm so glad I would never have
0: guessed that. Would you like to know
2: (laughs) my response
0: to it? Oh, my
2: goodness. I bet it tasted like a mouthful of chemicals.
0: It actually tasted glorious.
2: Okay. Well, it's like me and Doritos. I even I still love them. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I had two like major epiphanies. One was that it tasted way sweeter than I remembered. Not in a bad way, just like I don't remember it tasting that sweet. Right. I believe you. Yeah. The second thing was it tasted equally as amazing and addictive and everything I ever remembered loving about it. But my response to it. And I think because of meditation and all the cognitive work I've been doing, it didn't register the same in my head. It was more like I was observing my brain having the addiction, like addictive response, if that makes sense. Like it was like, I experienced all of this obsession and amazingness and I could feel the addiction potential, but I was like aware that that was a response. Like it didn't feel like me. Okay. That's fascinating. I don't think that's because I changed my palate with Whole Foods. I think it's, like I said, the meditation side of things, like becoming aware of how you respond to things, that it's not actually you. And then I had all these epiphanies that I was like, really like everything that you experience in a way, there are very few things that don't feel like, when when I'm saying, when I experience like love and peace, that's like the only thing where I don't feel like it's secondary to something. Like it just feels like the root feeling. Everything else is like, it's a separate thought that I can separate from. It's like fear, anxiety, the way I feel about Funfetti. (laughs) So yeah, it was definitely a a mind moment, but I don't plan to repeat it.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you did it. You know, because like I just said, you know, my tastes have changed a lot based on eating mostly whole foods now, but I still love a Dorito. Like
0: I've never lost my taste for Doritos. I will never lose my taste for Funfetti. I was even Googling. I was like, it must be something in the artificial flavor. But if you Google like what is in the artificial flavor for Pillsbury, it's it's a black hole. Who knows? It's
2: just something your brain loves. See, my brain never liked Funfetti. Like I can remember when it first was invented. I think I was a fourth grade teacher when they invented Funfetti. I don't know when they did, but that was when it first came to my consciousness, as a fourth-grade teacher and people bringing in treats, you know, kids bringing stuff in. That That's the first time I ever saw Funfetti. It was 1990. <laughs> and I remember trying it, and I was like, oh, no, no, I do not like this. That's so funny. But I also have not ever been like a major sweets person. Me neither. I never wanted all the, all the you know, like a cupcake, never, unless it's like a really good, high-quality cupcake. Mm, okay, those are good, but... <laughs> A homemade, good, good, good cupcake I could eat. But fascinating. It's it's just interesting what our brains connect with and that it's different for different people.
0: Exactly. Because I, I, I really think it is whatever chemical artificial flavor is in that specific...
2: Whatever lights up your brain.
0: Yeah. And I think people respond to different ones because, you know, somebody's favorite cake might be a different brand that has a different artificial flavor. Yep.
2: Our brains are definitely different, you know. We know that from, from all the medications out there and how, you know, you'll try this one and it didn't work well for you, but somebody else will try it and it's their perfect, whatever. Our brain chemistry is different. And that makes sense with the foods that light up the reward center in our brain would be different as well.
0: Yep, yeah. It was like, I literally, though, I literally could like see my reward center lighting up.
2: Well, I'm glad for the feedback. I'm surprised that you liked it. I, I have to admit, I didn't think you would.
0: Yeah, liked it the exact same. But like I said, my awareness of liking it was different, So, which is kind of nice because I don't feel tempted to try it again because I know, yeah, it t- tasted amazing, but I can separate myself from that feeling. So,
2: Very cool. Thank you for that update. I know that listeners will be glad to
0: know. <laughs> I will say, quick quick plug, the meditation practice that I found most helpful has been Emily Fletcher's Stress Less, Accomplish More. And she has an online course that's amazing. And I have a link for that. It's MelanieAvalon.com slash meditation.
2: I am using the Tapping Solution app.
0: Oh, yes, tapping. Like
2: every day. I'm super into it. I've been reading on PubMed, you know, looking for the studies. Man, they're out there. It's not something wacky. I've even gotten my husband on board.
0: Does he do intermittent fasting, I wonder? If he does,
2: you could. Can... Oh, yeah. He does? Oh, 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 the tapping guy. I thought you were talking about Chad. Nick Ortner. Yeah, that would be fascinating if he did do intermittent fasting. But yeah, they, their app is great. The app is like way better than me trying to do it with the book. Have you tried the
0: app? It's on my phone. I actually, last night, was going to actually start doing it. And I, I haven't. I love the app. Yeah. I you you just start.
2: The app is really great because I never know what to say or think or do. But the app tells you exactly. <laughs> so, and it's all research-based. You get the app for free, but then you can subscribe. But they have... Like if you're in certain classes of people like teachers and healthcare workers right now, you can subscribe for free and everybody can subscribe for free for like, you know, to all, to open up all the content for like two weeks and then you can decide what you think and then you could cancel that and just use their free stuff. And that might be enough for a lot of people, but I think I like it enough to, to keep it. So that's, that's interesting.
0: I love it. I've loved it since 2014. That's when I first started. The tapping. Mm -hmm. I remember my first session. (laughs) Anyways, shall we jump into everything for today?
2: Yes, let's get
0: started. All right, to start things off, we have some listener feedback. The first one comes from Alani. The subject is thank you and alani says hi jen and melanie thank you so much for changing my life for the better i started to intermittent fast february 1st 2020 that day i put almond milk in my tea and thought that intermittent fasting was very hard the next day i discovered your podcast and i've been clean fasting ever since i started to if with an eating window from 11 30 to 6 30 because i am a teacher and i thought there was no way i could do more than that Now my eating window is between three and four hours. The best thing about intermittent fasting for me is that I have more time. Before the shelter in place, I had a few weeks to try IFing at school, and I love that. And I love that I didn't have to stop to eat throughout my teaching day. I used to stuff my face at 6 a.m. so that I wouldn't be hungry until lunchtime, but that never really happened because I would always be starving about three hours later. Can I just say that is so
2: true. That is exactly what it was like for me when I was a teacher. I would stuff my face at 6 a.m. And then I was starving three hours later. One
0: hundred percent. I get it. It's a common thing. She says, so I was having a super early breakfast, then a snack at recess and then lunch and then a snack after school and then dinner with a dessert snack after. I always told people that I was the type of person who had to eat all the time. I also thought I was a person who would faint if I didn't eat breakfast at 6 a.m. before going to work. Now I understand that I felt that way because I was force feeding myself so early when I didn't even want to be eating. Ironically, I was eating at 6 a.m. in order to not be hungry later when the answer was to start my day without food. That is the way to not be hungry. One hundred percent. Yep. I Love that! It's a great, great epiphany. She says, "I started to push back my breakfast until 8 a.m. and then I pushed it back till 9:30 a.m. and then one day I didn't have breakfast until lunchtime and I was so proud of myself. I did it. I didn't feel sick and I didn't feel faint. If I ever felt really hungry, I just drank a little real salt water, thanks to your suggestion, and I felt better right away. Now I just drink bitter tea, English breakfast tea, and warm water in the morning, and I don't have to eat until the afternoon." Intermittent fasting is so awesome. My number one reason for doing it was the time issue. It's horrible to have to bring breakfast and lunch and snacks to school. My bag was always so heavy going to school. My second reason for trying intermittent fasting was to lose about 10 pounds that I had gained from eating just too many sweets here and there. I was able to lose about five of those pounds without even trying. I think if we weren't in quarantine due to the coronavirus, I would have lost even more weight by now. Unfortunately, being at home makes me want to make cookies and brownies all the time. But the cool thing about intermittent fasting is that I can have treats daily if I eat them slowly and really enjoy them, and then when I'm full, I stop. I have more self-control with my sweets now. Woohoo! I feel full so much faster now. It's awesome. I've learned so much from you guys in such a short period of time by reading your books and by listening to your podcasts. I can't thank you enough. I have a suggestion for your listeners. Some listeners ask how they can continue their fast for just another hour or so. I think you guys are totally right by suggesting to be active and go on a walk. That really works for me. But a suggestion from me to listeners is to listen to your podcast during this extra hour or two. When I listen to you guys, not only do your voices totally soothe me and your jokes make me laugh and your suggestions make me full of gratitude, but I just forget that I am or was hungry. You guys are magical. I have tried many of your suggestions and love them. Red light therapy, the CBD oil from Fields, the blue light and red light glasses, magnesium before I go to bed, real salts from Utah, not weighing myself incessantly, but using honesty pants instead. Drinking hot water, clean fasting, et cetera. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thanks for your careful research and your detailed explanations. Thanks for teaching us to question what we read and to look for flaws in research. Thank you for your time and for sharing all of your intermittent fasting experiences with us, your listeners. You guys are my inspirational mentors. You're both so incredibly beautiful on the inside and out. Not only are you sharing this incredible information with all of us and for free, but you're also examples of strong, intelligent female leaders. Thank you for everything that you do and for being you. Sincerely, a high school Spanish teacher in California, Alani. Thank you, Alani.
2: I loved that so much, Alani. That was a beautiful, a beautiful message.
0: We're so, so grateful for your support and your feedback. I actually do the same thing that she talks about. Listen. I listen to podcasts while fasting or for motivation. I think it's just, it's like the best. You're motivated, you learn things, you feel like you're not alone. So I really like your suggestion for listeners and that maybe if they're trying to add one extra hour or two to their fast, that might be the time to listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Yep. That's a great idea. I wanted to talk about something real quick
2: that Alani mentioned, and that is the salt water. And the reason I want to mention that just really quick is because... We know that salt does not break the fast, but I think some people are confused about how much salt to use during the fast. Like someone in in one of my Facebook groups yesterday, she's like, well, I'm using the salt water and I put a teaspoon in a glass of water and then later I had a headache and I'm like, wait a minute, a teaspoon is a lot of salt. <laughs> so I just want to caution people that we know now that that our bodies need salt. Salt is not, quote, bad. Like, you know, we were taught to eat low sodium, not use salt. But that doesn't mean that we can't overdo the salt. So just be very careful. And when we're talking about, you know, adding salt to water, we're talking about like a sprinkle of salt, not like a spoonful of salt.
0: To that point. So I don't drink salt in my water and I don't use electrolyte like support. But I think if I were to, it would probably be best to have electrolytes in the proper balance for your body to support hydration. And Rob Wolf makes that LMNT electrolyte mix, and there's an unflavored one. So I feel like that might be a good resource for people if they feel like they're experiencing electrolyte issues while fasting, just because it's going to have the right balance of electrolytes for your body. I'm 100% on board with that. In fact, we actually don't allow
2: Facebook posts where people are like, how much salt do I use and what do I use it for? And And I'm like, you know, we we always say, if you don't know why you're using it, then don't use it. (laughs) You know, because people are just so confused about it. And you're right. There's a lot of hype around pink salt or this salt or whatever. And I think that it would be a lot safer to find a drops formula. I know Amazon, I think constant, I can't remember. I don't want to say the name of it. But when you're looking for an electrolyte drops used if you feel like, I mean, I've never once felt like I had an electrolyte issue during a fast, just to be to be clear. Although I do drink mineral water, which has, you know, minerals in it. So that could be one reason. But you don't want to just, you know, go willy-nilly, you know, with, with too much of something. So I would look for an electrolyte drop, like Melanie suggested. You want something that's unflavored. A liquid is a good choice. I would avoid any that have citric acid on the ingredients list because that does add a tangy flavor.
0: Even though I don't use it, I feel really, really comfortable endorsing Rob Wolf's version of it. I mean, I have no affiliation because I actually did order the unflavored one and his raw unflavored one. It doesn't have citric acid, right? All it has is salt, magnesium malate, and potassium chloride. All right. That sounds fun. And it's in like a packet. So it's, you know, you just add it to your water. So honestly, I mean, that's what I would feel comfortable recommending to listeners. Yeah, there's, there's
2: one liquid mineral drop that we know of on Amazon. Like I said, I can't think of the name of it right now. But when you look at the ingredients, it does not have any citric acid. That's what you have to look for. But really, I've never once suggested people use salt, you know, day to day. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. <laughs> and, you know, it's not in my books to use salt. It's okay. That you, I actually put in fast, feast, repeat that salt is okay. But just be careful. You know, it came out of the keto community, and it just, like, back in the day, in the early days of the Facebook support group, back in 2015, 2016, even into 2017, no one was even saying the word salt. And then all of a sudden, boom, there it was. It was everywhere. Like I said, I think it was the keto community. Yeah, I think so. I do worry that people could overdo it, because just because salt is not, quote, bad, that doesn't mean that it couldn't be contraindicated for some people.
0: Yeah, 100%. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed grass-finished steak tips, all for free plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is Butcher Box. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it, especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood. There's a lack of transparency. It can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that by directly partnering with farmers and fishermen. ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. Their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want To choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash IF Podcast with code IFPodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right. Shall we go to our next feedback?
2: Yes, this is from Claire. And the subject line is it was the toothpaste. I just had to say that in a dramatic way. Claire says, Dear IF ladies, thank you so very much for the information that you have given all of us listeners. I have been doing IF for almost a year on a minimum of 16-8 schedule, and frequently more towards 17-19 to hour long fasts. It has helped my digestive system heal after finally realizing that I am lactose intolerant with other common food sensitivities. The idea of giving my digestive system a break was what got me started on this journey, and I plan on continuing it long term. I'm adding in bone broth next week to break my fast to see if that adds even more digestive strengthening. I've been doing clean fasts since I started IF, or so I thought. I am only on episode 32 right now, but several episodes prior, maybe in the teens, a listener asked if toothpaste would break a fast. The short answer that you gave was probably not, but it depends on how it makes you feel. If it makes you ravenously hungry right after, then your body is reacting to it. The previous two weeks before I listened to that episode, I had been having a very difficult time fasting. I was starving, felt awful, and was noticing a pattern of hunger that started in the morning. I also just switched toothpastes during that time, and it had a stronger flavor than my previous one. The very next day after I heard that episode, I started to only brush my teeth with water in the morning, and it has made a huge difference for me. I could never pinpoint why sometimes over the last year of fasting has been easier or harder than other times. It was the toothpaste. I usually buy the same brand that doesn't have a super strong flavor, but every now and then I would pick up a different one to try. Maybe some toothpastes have a flavor that are just too strong for me, or even a different type of artificial sweetener, too. Without hearing, it depends on how it makes you feel and how everyone can react to things differently. I don't know how much longer I would have suffered through that, quote, not clean, fast feeling before I would have figured it out. I feel so much better, stronger, and clearer in both my mind and body, and it's only been a few days. I hope you will talk about this again so other listeners could maybe make the same connection that I did. As you both say, you have to find what works for you, and those are words to live by in more things in life than just food and fasting. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so
0: grateful Much love, Claire, St. Louis, Missouri. All right. So love this question from Claire. Well, feedback from Claire. I will say there are some toothpastes that don't have any sweeteners. And I think those can work a lot for a lot of people. So I use, for example, Earth Paste. They have an unsweetened spearmint flavor and it doesn't have any sweeteners. And I find that really, really effective. So if you can find a a toothpaste that doesn't have any sweeteners, that might be something to try. Because I know she said she was doing just just the water. <laughs> and there's more you can do than just the water for sure. One other thought was that I really think the, quote, insulin response or breaking the fast with tasting something sweet or thinking about something sweet, I really think now that it probably does involve that two-phase insulin response in our body. Because, you know, p- people being worried about extended insulin release with breaking the fast with a thought or tasting something Basically, there's a little bit of insulin that's like primed and at the ready in your pancreas. And so if you taste toothpaste or think about something sweet or salivate, you might release that little bit of insulin. But then in order to actually produce more insulin, that likely happens once you actually start eating. Just for people who are worried about having this massive insulin release, by slightly tasting something or thinking about something. Yes, you release insulin, but I think to actually get things going really intensely probably happens when you eat, but I'm not saying that that means it's okay to just, you know, taste things. So Jim, what are your thoughts on everything?
2: I've actually heard this before. One of the moderators in my Facebook group is one of the people that certain toothpaste bother. So she has to be really careful. So we know it's true and it's, it's knowing how you feel and, you know, knowing how the clean fast feels so you can tell the difference. That's really key. You know, she knew how it felt, and then she noticed when it felt different. So if it feels different, look and see what's different. You know, I've heard people have that happen to a new supplement or to a vitamin, you know, many things. And they're like, all of a sudden, things are different. And then they're like, oh, this is what was different.
0: Yep. Awesome, awesome. Shall we go into our questions for today? Yes. All right, So we have two questions that overlap. So I will read those. The first question comes from Pamela. The subject is two questions. She says, hello, I've just started IF and feel amazing. I've lost 3.5 pounds in my first week and have that amazing energy that makes me think I'm probably getting into ketosis. I had successfully done the 5-2 before having kids. So it's not that foreign to my body. I'm starting my fast after dinner and opening my eating window whenever I feel like it, as long as it's been at least 14 hours. I have been listening to a lot of your episodes, but not all. I listened to your herbal tea episode and was left with questions. I hate bitter. I'm a bitter super taster. I don't like coffee. I don't like dark chocolate or anything bitter. I love black tea chai style with milk and spices and sugar during my eating window, but I don't drink it black. I'm fine with unsweetened green tea during the day if I don't overbrew and I am taking caffeine pills according to safe use when I wake up because I have two little kids and green tea doesn't have enough caffeine. I am no morning person, but I'd like to have something in the evening that's not caffeinated. Before I listened to your podcast, I had had a peppermint tea in the evening, and it was so perfect. I felt extremely soothed and relaxed, and it was delightful before bed. I had assumed it'd be fine because it wasn't sweet, as I'd assumed chamomile or others that aren't sweet, but also not bitter, might be fine. I didn't feel energized or jittery like you described. This makes me suspect maybe it doesn't make me release insulin. So my question is, what are the signs we should look for if our fast accidentally gets broken like this? I remember in one episode, you said, our bodies are all unique and what breaks the fast may vary. Would testing my blood sugar be at all helpful? My husband is type 2 diabetic, so I could change the needle and use his glucometer if you told me what to look for. Okay, so before we go to her next question, Jim, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think it depends on a lot of things. For example we don't know the answer to this. It's not in the question, but it depends a lot on when Pamela is having her eating window. Here's what I mean by that. If you have an eating window, and let's say you close your window at 7 p.m., you know, you finish dinner or your snack or whatever it is, at 7 p.m., close your window. Your body is still, even though you technically have closed your window, your body is still working on processing and digesting the food that you ate. So if you had a peppermint tea at 9 p.m., is that going to ruin everything? Well, here's the thing. Your body is still not deep into the fasted state yet. two hours after you just finished eating. It's still working on that food you just ate. So you might have a little bit, you know, of an insulin, whatever. That's very, very different than after you've been in the fasted state, you're twelve hours, thirteen hours in, it's the next day. I think you're you're going to have a different result. I mean, because if if it's two hours since you finished dinner, you're not in the fat burning state. a little bit of, peppermint tea then is very different than if you had it at hour 14 of the fast. Does that make sense, Melanie? Yeah. I think the timing of your window is important. Now, if you're the kind of person who wakes up in the morning and you have your green tea and then you have a morning eating window and then you close your window at noon and now it's 9 p.m., you're nine hours in, I would absolutely not have peppermint tea nine hours into the fast. So you just have to think about the fact that your body goes through different stages along the way. And right after you close your eating window, you're not deep into the fast yet. So that probably surprises you hearing me say that, Melanie, does it? That I'm like, you know, it's probably not as big of a deal at that point.
0: It doesn't really surprise me, no, because I think the emphasis for us is more when you are in that fasted state and not
2: maintaining the fasted state is what we're trying to do. And when it's two hours after you closed your window, you haven't gotten there yet. Now, one will one cup of peppermint tea prolong how long it takes your body to get into the fasted state? Probably not. If you had like a a cupcake, yeah, it would. (laughs) You know, that's different. But, you know, some zero-calorie peppermint tea when you're not in the fasted state yet because you just had your meal 2 hours ago. It's very different. You just have to think of, you know, the goals of the clean fast, you know, and where you are in the process. It really would just depend on when she closed her window. So you you're not going to be able to tell at that point if you accidentally break your fast because you're not in the deep fasted state yet. You're not running on ketones, you're running from the food you just ate. So you're in the fed state. So you don't look for any signs. I wouldn't be testing any you doing any glucometer that sort of thing. No. Not at that
0: point. How do you feel about the idea of testing your blood sugar during the fast?
2: I prefer for people to not get too hung up on details like that and, and worrying about it. But here's what would happen. Let's talk theoretically about what would happen. Let's say I'm cruising along in the fasted state, and you know, I could test my blood sugar and I'm just let's say I'm only having water. Because I I even stuff like, you know, coffee can cause your blood sugar to go up because you're releasing stored glycogen from your liver. And so coffee makes that happen to a greater degree. So you drink your coffee, your blood sugar goes up. You don't know why. You just see your blood sugar is going up. But it's coming out of your liver. So the flip side of that is if we have an insulin response, what would happen to our blood glucose? Well, it would go down. So let's say that I was measuring my blood glucose and I had a baseline. I knew what it was after having nothing but water. Then I drank a Diet Coke and then I tested my blood glucose later, I would be expecting to see blood glucose lower because the Diet Coke, sweet taste, body-released insulin, insulin cleared out our blood glucose. We didn't have any new blood glucose coming in because the Diet Coke didn't provide any actual glucose. It just provided the sweet taste. So then you would see your blood glucose go down from the insulin response. But you might not feel it. People also wonder about that sometimes. Like, you know, we talk about if it makes you feel shaky or if it makes you feel hungry. You wouldn't feel your blood sugar go down if your blood sugar were high and then it went down to a normal range. So, like, if you're going along with blood sugar that's high and then it goes down, you're not going to feel it because it's normal. But if it went down below normal, that's when you start to feel it
0: going back to what we were talking about with eating and how that affects insulin and all of that I actually interviewed yesterday Robbie and Cyrus the mastering diabetes guys they were great I loved them for listeners I've talked about them a lot but basically their approach is managing and even reversing different types of diabetes on an extremely high carb extremely low fat diet how
2: low fat do they want you to be I can't remember
0: the percentages they recommend are are similar to 80 10 10 so around 10% of your diet from fat. So it's it's pretty low. I think for saturated fat specifically, because the mechanisms of saturated fat are actually what affect insulin receptors on the cells and can potentially increase insulin resistance, I think they recommend no more than like 2.5 grams of saturated fat per day. Wow. that's That's tricky. <laughs> it's plant-based. So it's a lot of Depending on what you like, it's legumes, grains, fruit, starches, vegetables, a lot of that, small amount of nuts, if so. But in any case, I asked them a question, which was a question that we actually get a lot about when you're eating in your eating window. Should you eat fat and protein first? Should you eat carbs first? Like the order of things. I asked them, you know, in their minds, if you had a meal and you ate, you know, and you say you're in the fasted state and then you ate fat followed by carbs compared to carbs followed by fat, what would be healthier from like an insulin perspective? It was basically what I was thinking was that you probably should eat the carbs first because the carbs will go in, fill glucose or fill glycogen stores, but not have any like effect on the cells to how they're reacting to insulin. And then if you ate the fat, then the fat could be stored compared to if you ate the fat at the beginning, it could possibly affect the insulin receptors and make the cells not as easily absorb the carbs. And then the carbs would be in the bloodstream, which could create problems. So I know that sounds like a little bit technical and sciencey, but it was something I'd actually been thinking a lot about. If you have blood sugar regulation issues, you might want to play around with the order of your foods. If you're eating certain types of foods at certain times, you know, maybe not eating like dessert after a fat and protein rich heavy meal, that might not be (laughs) the best situation. Maybe instead opening with fruit and then, you know, And then ending with your fat and protein. Again, it's very individual. And I'm not saying one thing is right or wrong, but I just think there's a lot to play around with in your eating window. If you find that you are having issues with blood sugar regulation or hunger, insulin, there's definitely a lot you can play with. Well, that's
2: fascinating. I'm sure that's a great interview because their book is, I haven't read the whole thing. I started reading it and then I got sidetracked, as I often do. But, You know, I've actually recommended it to a few people who have in the Facebook groups who will say, you know, I've tried keto and I gained weight and I have, you know, type 2 diabetes or, you know, I'm pre-diabetic. And I'm like, well, you know, how about take a look at mastering diabetes just to get the flip side of things?
0: Yeah, actually, so I was posting in my Facebook group last minute yesterday for last minute questions for them, somebody posted and they were like, they were saying they were doing intermittent fasting and keto for like the longest time, but they always felt like hungry and they weren't losing weight. And then they said that they heard me recommend it on this podcast, Mastering Diabetes, and they said they did it. And like within a week, they were losing weight. Their hunger was gone.
2: People act like it's, it's like blasphemy <laughs> to suggest this because we're now... You know, just like I mentioned earlier, salt is not, quote, bad, but that doesn't mean everybody should be, like, you know, main line of the salt. Same with fat. Fat is not, quote, bad, but that doesn't mean everybody needs the same level of fat. And we said one time on this pod, no, no, it was on my other podcast. I said to some guests, I had a mom and son on the podcast at the same time. And I mentioned that if I needed to lose weight at some point, I would just stop having so much butter on my rolls. That would be an easy step for me. Less fat cut the fat. And somebody in the group was like, I can't believe you said that. That is wrong. Fat is good. We should be adding more fat. I'm like, no. (laughs) Yeah. I remember you telling me that. Okay. But there's so much confusion out there. And it's like the fasting community and the low carb community are so closely linked because you know ketosis and fasting gets us into ketosis. The keto diet gets you into ketosis. The whole idea of fat being a free-for-all food and something that you can never have too much of. I know we keep talking about this. This is not new, but it just still is out there. And so I want people to think about it. If you have been doing intermittent fasting and you're not losing weight and you're having a hard time and you've tried keto, low-carb, and that didn't feel right for you, try to eat less fat purposefully. And I'm not even talking about going to the store and buying you know, low-fat products. I'm just talking about... Don't put so much butter in the pan. Use a you know a little bit of olive oil instead of you know adding it liberally. Just use a little less and see if that helps. You know because we have the whole idea: fat is great, fat is free, and it's not. You can tell I'm very passionate about this subject just because I think a lot of people who are struggling with the weight loss side, they're doing intermittent fasting, they're fasting clean, they're eating until satisfied, but we've gotten caught up in the whole. Fat is free. It's easy to overeat fat and not realize you've done it.
0: I can't find it right now, but I was reading a study a few days ago. I wish I could find it. It was talking about body weight set points, and it was talking about how carbs, protein, and fat are used by the body and how they affect set points and how they affect everything. And one of the conclusions they they drew was that it's literally—I mean—it's the amount of dietary fat that is really determining overall fat stores honestly we talked about this at length before and i guess it's we're just both so passionate about it but you know massively overeating carbs massively very few of that actually becomes fat massively overeating protein very few of it becomes fat that actually you know boosts metabolism it has a high thermic effect fat overeating it easily becomes fat body fat so I think you said it really well, Jen, that it does probably shock listeners a little bit to hear this, but I think it's like what you said, that there has been this huge link with fasting in the keto community. And it does work a lot for a lot of people, but I think it's, it's made people very, you know, fearful of carbs and not open to the idea that the other side can work. And I think I loved about, actually, Jen, you know what? They practice intermittent fasting.
2: I actually already have had that thought about having them on. And I have, like, too many people on the lineup, which is, like, a good problem to have. You know, like, I'm recording now. I don't have any slots for recording until November. (laughs) That's how how booked up I am. And that's recording in November will put you on the podcast in, like, February. They would have to jump to the front of the line.
0: the New York Times bestsellers should this, that give them a, not that, not that we favor people, but the reason I love them is I think they're providing a really, really valid paradigm shift and for a lot of people, especially people in, you know, in the keto community. But one thing I loved right at the beginning of the interview, I talked about my, my belief that I think both high carb, low fat and low carb, high fat, that I think that both approaches can work. It's sort of a matter of, you know, what works for you at that time. And They're like, both things work. It's really just a matter of, you know, A, actually doing the version of it. So when you're doing low carb, is it low carb enough to get the benefits? And if you're doing low fat, is it low fat enough to get the benefits? Yeah, that's an interesting thing to consider.
2: And it's hard to be either. It's hard to be either extreme. Like when you said 10% fat, that's low.
0: If you're eating whole foods, it's not as hard, I think.
2: Yeah, but see, I like to dip my whole foods in like ranch dressing. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) There there you go. I really don't dip in ranch dressing. That's a joke. But you know what I mean, right? You know, I like like to put butter on my whole foods.
0: Yeah. The thing we talked about is because it does seem that it, it actually does need to be very low on both sides, If you want to be in ketosis and all of that, you got to be low carb enough. And if you want to get these metabolic benefits of being high carb, you got to be low fat enough. And the the tricky thing is if you're just slightly over for your personal body and that metabolic approach, you can quite possibly not get any of the benefits and then actually get all of the issues that come with being super high, whatever, without the safety of being a healthy version of that state. You've blocked the benefits of low carb because you've had too many carbs. Even if it's just a little bit too much for your body, you block all of the safety and the health benefits of being low carb, and now you're eating high fat, so you're actually not in a good situation. Or on the flip side, if you're super, super high carb, but then you let just a little bit too much fat come in, same thing. You could actually be in a not good situation. That's why it's kind of crazy. It's like, if you do it, you, you got to really, you know, you got to commit. But like I said, I want I want this to be in my next book. <laughs> So, yeah. Pamela's second question was, you two are always mentioning Facebook groups, but not the names. What's the name so I can join?
2: All right. Well, I actually have one main group that is the Delay Don't Deny Intermittent Fasting Support. That's the name of that one. And to join that one, you have to agree that after you join, you're going to read Delay Don't Deny. And that's actually one of the membership questions. And sometimes people say no, (laughs) and they don't join the group. That's okay. But we want everyone to have the foundation of having read Delay, Don't Deny. So that's Delay, Don't Deny, Intermittent Fasting Support. That's the one that has over a quarter of a million members. I have another group that right now is closed for membership. It's called Delay, Don't Deny Advanced Book Support Group. And the reason it's closed is because this book has always been for people after they read Delay, Don't Deny. Like the other group, they can say, I'll read it later after I join, and we just, you know, trust that they will do that. But for this one, you have to have read Delay, Don't Deny to Join. But now we're making it even more advanced. It's going to be for people who have read Fast Feast Repeat only. And because Fast Feast Repeat is only available for pre-order, we're not accepting any new members into the advanced group until after June 16th. So if you have already pre-ordered Fast Feast Repeat, you'll be in great shape. Read it. And then come join the Delay Don't Deny Advanced Book Support Group. It's just so helpful when everyone's on the same page because then there's not any arguing. And we can actually, like Melanie and I, discussing fat and carbs and our opinions about things, we can have a great discussion because we're coming from the same place scientifically. It just really helps. And then I have one more group. It was actually my original, the One Meal a Day IF Lifestyle Group. And that one is open for podcast listeners. Anybody can join that. You don't have to promise to read any books. (laughs) Of course, we hope that you will. But you can just join that one if you're a podcast listener. There's a question that talks about that. We want people to join who are already in our community. And if you're listening to the podcast, you are in our community.
0: Awesome. And we will obviously put links to all of this in the show notes. And this was actually really good timing. So I actually just changed the name of my Facebook group. Because you know, Jen, how you can't change the name after 5,000 members. Is that still the rule? Do you know? I don't think
2: it is anymore. I know that used to be the rule, but I feel like it isn't, but I don't know.
0: It might be a rule. I think they changed that, but I don't know. In any case, so I'm getting close to 5,000 members. So I realized if I'm going to change it, I need to change it. And oh my goodness, it's such like a good decision to change the Facebook. Originally, I had the word paleo in the group. I actually, the ironic thing is I consider a lot of dietary approaches can be quote paleo even though people don't always consider them paleo, like I think you could be vegan and paleo, vegetarian, paleo, carnivore, and paleo, you know, mastering diabetes and paleo, but I think having it in the name, I think it did naturally attract, I think people who would do, you know, really enjoy being in the group.
2: They're like, Hey, I'm not paleo. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to get rid of that. And so the new title is IF biohackers Intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. And then I put this was a huge decision, Jen. I was so stressed about it. I put in parentheses, it says Melanie Avalon because I didn't want to make the group about me at all. But people often are searching for the group. So I needed my name in there to help people find it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I was Googling and it was like, don't put your name in the group because it's not, you know, it's not about you. And I agree. But I know people often search Melanie Avalon group and that wouldn't come up with anything. So now it does. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue with our
2: one meal a day group because the name of it is one meal a day IF lifestyle and it has a picture of steak, potatoes and green beans. That's always been our cover photo cuz I wanted it to show we are not tied to you, you know, you can eat a steak, you can eat a potato, you can eat green beans. <laughs> you know, it's it's not food dogmatic, but people have trouble finding it because now there's like a bazillion one meal a
0: day groups out there. You probably can't change it now, but you could put like Jen Stevens in parentheses at the end.
2: I'm, I'm really not interested in growing them to the point that we have like 10 million bazillion members. Does that make sense? It's a lot of work to manage them. I love managing them. I love the community. It makes me really, really happy, but you know, we're glad to have you there if you can
0: find it. <laughs> anyway. All right. And we have one quick last question. and It sort of overlays with what Pamela was saying. John, caffeine pills, he says, I can't drink black coffee. Is it okay to take a caffeine pill upon waking instead? What are your thoughts on caffeine pills, Jen? Well, you know,
2: yeah, I take a caffeine pill. Is that going to be ideal? Probably not. But is it going to ruin everything? Probably not. So if you need a caffeine pill, I mean, I've had times in my life where I took a caffeine pill. And it was actually when I was trying to wean myself off of coffee in the past, years ago. I remember I got some caffeine pills to help me wean off of coffee and then slowly, you know, take smaller amounts of caffeine. I don't I don't know. It just seemed like the thing to help me do that because first I needed to break the drinking the coffee habit, but I still wanted the caffeine so then I could wean myself, you know, taper off the caffeine that way. So that would be my recommendation. If you don't like coffee, but you're If you don't like black coffee, but you need the caffeine, I would just start with tapering yourself off the caffeine slowly. But I actually, John, you can drink black coffee. You can. That's my real recommendation is that you can because your taste buds will change. And then you'll be so happy and you'll feel so you know, grown up ordering the black coffee. That's just, whenever I go somewhere and I'm like black coffee and they say, do you need room for cream? And I say, no, it just feels like, (laughs) oh, you know what I mean? No, I don't need room for cream because I am a real coffee drinker. I don't know. It just feels that way. That might be silly, but you know, it just, it feels powerful that I don't need to add a bunch of stuff to my coffee. I can just drink it. It's no fuss, no muss. And I actually like it. So what do you think, Melanie?
0: Yeah. So there was actually a really, really fascinating episode of the ATP project all about caffeine. (laughs) And I, uh, I put a link, I put it in our playlist on Himalaya. So that's if you go on the Himalaya app, we are a Himalaya partner show. We have a playlist there called intermittent fasting podcast stuff we like. So you can follow that playlist. And I put this episode in there. It was a deep, deep dive into caffeine. I learned so much. For example, I thought caffeine's main mechanism of action for keeping you alert was because it you know, mimics the adenosine. So it takes up the receptors because adenosine is the one that makes you feel is, is it that adenosine makes you feel tired and so it blocks that so you don't feel tired in any case I thought it had to do with adenosine but it, it, it does do that but it actually does so many other things related to alertness I was not aware and it really is a wonder for like fat burning and it's one of those things that yes people get a tolerance to it For the stimulating effect, but it seems to maintain its effect for fat burning regardless, which is really interesting. But I really recommend listening to it to learn all of the science of things. But they did talk about the difference between natural, you know, quote, natural caffeine from like coffee or tea compared to a caffeine pill. Well, first of all, when you're having caffeine and, you know, coffee and tea and things like that, you're getting, in addition to the caffeine, you're getting the health benefits of the systemic, of, you know, all the other compounds in coffee and tea. You get more of a full body response to it compared to taking a caffeine pill where it's more of like a concentrated amount and then you you get a big dose and then you actually get like a, a bigger crash. There was something about the processing of the caffeine and so it seemed that caffeine from coffee, it affects how fast it affects you, affects how your body responds and you will probably get more beneficial health effects overall from coffee or tea compared to the synthetic form. Something else that was really interesting was, you know, some people identify as responders or non-responders to caffeine. Like doesn't seem to affect some people. Even people who identify as non-responders, like they don't get the intense stimulation or the crash, they actually still get the the benefits from the other, like the herbogenic effects beyond the caffeine. So there are some health potential there, even if the caffeine doesn't really affect you. And then something else that was interesting was caffeine actually increases the thermic effect of food. So we always talk about having caffeine in the fast, but actually some people have caffeine with their meals. And it, if you do that, it actually increases the thermic effect of the meal, which was really, really interesting.
2: Well, you know, I think about my grandparents always had a cup of
0: coffee after dinner, always. Well, the repeat people who are all about boosting metabolism they advocate having coffee with meals to support your thyroid and support you know so that you can have a higher metabolism with the meal yeah it's really really fascinating i'll put a link to it a lot to learn yeah yeah i think you know i didn't say
2: that specifically like you did but the whole idea of i wouldn't use a caffeine pill long term i think
0: we both agree on that i personally wouldn't and i don't advocate it i think you know coffee is probably better i can see how people you know as like they're biohacking stack might use a small amount of caffeine as part of like their system. I don't know. I don't want to subscribe it to like everybody, but I would always err on the side of coffee. The actual coffee. Yep, exactly.
2: (laughs) Me too. Drink the coffee, John. You can do it. John, I am sending you good coffee mojo right now. Yes. I can't wait to get the email that he tried it and now he likes it, that he's used to it. That's what I want. John, send us your follow-up email.
0: (laughs) Yes, we will be eagerly, eagerly awaiting. So a few things for listeners before we go. Like I said, we are Himalaya Partners show. You can follow us in the Himalaya app, and you can also subscribe to us in iTunes. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com, or you can go to ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, and that's where we have a list of all of the stuff that we like. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast, just emphasizing how awesome our Instagram is. You can also follow Jen at Jen Stevens, me at Melanie Avalon, and yeah, I think that's everything. Oh, and the show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 163. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that was it. It was another great episode
2: and I look forward to next week. Likewise. I'll talk to you
0: then. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. The music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.